cover a subject today that is called by many terms, and it'll be a two-parter. So uh, I, I can just tell you it's going to be a two-parter for sure. It hopefully won't be a three-parter if, if I stay with my notes. Uh, but it's a, a topic that we, we look at from time to time. It's a part of Bible prophecy. Prophecy is one-third of, of God's Word. We, we, so we're gonna, we talk about prophecy. We talk about prophecies in sermons. We talk about prophecies uh, in our, at our website. It's a, a huge part of, of God's Word. Uh, the area that we're going to talk about today is known by many terms. It's known as the time of Jacob's trouble. It's uh, sometimes discussed as the fifth seal. It's also talked uh, about as being 1,260 days, 42 months, a time, times, and half a time. Uh, in one area, it's talked about, uh, as it says this period, uh, as the times of the Gentiles. What period are we discussing? The Great Tribulation. We're going to talk about the Great Tribulation, uh, a huge part of Bible prophecy uh, in God's Word. This time represents a three-and-a-half time period that precedes the return of Jesus Christ. As we've talked many times, this, this three-and-a-half-year time period is not a, a period, and then we've got this period that's called the Day of the Lord after it. Uh, the Day of the Lord, uh, that, that, that time period that's called the Day of the Lord, is within the final three and a half years that we see in prophecy uh, prior to the return of Christ. Why are we addressing this topic today as a review? Why? To scare us? You bet. No, I'm kidding. Uh, not, not, not to scare us. Uh, because it represents a portion of the gospel message, the good news of the coming kingdom of God? Yes. It is a portion of the gospel message. Jesus Christ is our Savior, and that is a huge part of the gospel message. <laughs> we, have, we are nothing without the, uh, with, with, without the first coming of Jesus Christ, this being that has existed for eternity, that came and gave his life for us, that we can have the opportunity to be a part of the family of God, and that we are family members as we are uh, sired by the Spirit. Huge part. Another part is the message that he gave about his, his return and about the events that lead up to his return and the events that occur after his return and the events that go into eternity. That's, that's the gospel message, and we love the gospel message. The gospel message is what gives us energy and drive to go forward and purpose in our lives. We talk about it because it discusses what the coming king tells us. Let's go to Luke 21. We'll turn to many familiar passages today. This is one. I dare say uh, nearly all of us have, have read this multiple times or heard it preached multiple times. One of the Olivet Prophecies, Jesus Christ, as he's talking uh, to them about these events in, in the end time, which we'll uh, address here uh, shortly, Verse 29, Luke 21, so he, he, being Christ, spoke to them a parable. Look at the figs and all, uh, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. 
Mr. Mr. Townsend talked about uh, summer fruit. I thought, oh, he's going to get into the subject. He didn't even touch this. Anyway, he covered a completely different area. It's really neat uh, message that he gave last Sabbath. But another aspect of summer fruit here uh, that we're talking about today. There are events that are happening that let us know summer is near. Uh, when, when they are budding, things are budding in, re, in terms of events around us, we know that the return of Christ is near. So you also, verse 31, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. It's near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation or this, uh, this age will by no means pass away till all things take place. In some respects, we are in the end of the age. Christ through his actions and through his sacrifice and through the establishment of the church. And these are, this is the end of the age. It's, a, it's an age period. But we see things will progress as it gets to the actual event of Jesus Christ's return. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, Jesus Christ, my words will by no means pass away. The kingdom of God is coming, whether or not you or whether or not I uh, choose to walk this way, it's coming. It's coming. There will be a time of reckoning. Our time of reckoning is now as God's people. Our judgment is now. There is a reckoning upon us, but there will be a reckoning for the world as, uh, as this time is, is coming. What Jesus Christ said is the truth, and it will occur. So now verse 34. But take heed to yourselves. So this is where we, we read this passage uh, about watching, but again, here come the, the hands. They come in and they point at each of us. They point, I, I have to take heed to myself. Is my heart being weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, that that day might come on me expectedly? Might it come on you expectedly? Know this, verse 35, that it is going to come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. It's going to come on them uh, in, a, in a way that is unexpected, and it will ensnare them uh, in, in all that, that will happen. We don't want it to ensnare us. So we will allow it to ensnare us if we let our hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. Are we taking heed to ourselves? Carousing, uh, the margin renders it as dissipation. Webster's uh, describes dissipation this way. The act of dispersing, uh, uh, like a, a separation, a, a wasting away, a, a, a dispersion of wealth, a dissip dissipation of wealth, just throwing it out there carelessly. Uh, as in a dissolute course of life, money, health, whatever, it's squandered in the pursuit of pleasure. Think about these, these definitions, Pursu uh, squandered in the pursuit of pleasure, in profuseness or in, in vicious indulgence, late hours, riotous living. The definition of dissolute is lacking moral restraint, indulging in sensual pleasures or vices. Where do we see our nation now? Where, where, what is the state of our nation around us? Uh, we see more and more and more of, of, of these kinds of things. And it creeps into the church, doesn't it? It, it creeps into us because we, we want to we be comfortable. We, we, want, we want to do well in life and, and put ourselves in a position where we can enjoy the abundance of life. 
that uh, Mr. Bynum talked about last week in the sermonette, that, that's, a, that's a good thing. It's, a, it's one of the blessings that God gives us. But when that, that focus is there, when my joy comes to thinking of this is what I want and this is what will make me happy versus what it's all about, it gets off. It gets off kilter. Another definition from Webster's is a trifle which wastes time or distracts attention. Is your attention, is my attention distracted anyway, in any way from the gospel of the kingdom of God? We've got to live our lives. We've got, we've got to plan. We've got to enact plans. We've got to, to, to make money to survive. It's, it's all the part of it. We, we want to do everything that we can with all our might so that we can do well. God blesses that. We want to uh, do our, our best and, and reap the benefits of that, all of that. But it's got to be uh, couched in the reality of this way of life and what it's, what it's all about. He says we can get caught up in this. Take heed to yourselves, lest you be weighed down with these, these kinds of things. Cares of this life, legitimate cares, but, but we can get weighed down with that. I, sorry, I'm going get, to get off, off track here, but I, I think of, of, of just as, as the summer goes on and I start getting stressed about all these different things that, that I've got going on or, or challenges that different people are facing and, and helping them and, and or whatever the things are going. I, I don't know about you, but I find myself more and more, more and more quickly getting weighed down. It just, whatever, I don't know if it's the whole COVID thing and the, the events of, of the last year and a half, but it's like it's a constant just push, a push on us to, to, to feel that weightedness pressing down upon us uh, of, of life. When I've got to, as I look at that, I've got to get over here and, and get back to the, the, the joy of what we've been given. I've got to take time to step away from these, these cares and these weights that are pressing down on me and, and get this to lead me in my thinking. Otherwise, it weighs me down. I don't know if any of you have, have felt that. I've, I've felt that uh, recently. I've felt that the last year and a half, this battle of not being weighed down with even, even legitimate uh, and needy cares, need, needful, cares of this life that, that, that I know I need to take care of. But as he says, if we do, that day will come on us unexpectedly. Verse 36, so watch, watch therefore, watch our own lives, take heed to ourselves, watch, watch those areas of our lives as we examine and, but also watch the things that are going on in the world around us. Watch these, these powers, these nations that, that are prophesied in Scripture. And watch what's going on there. Watch the events that are happening morally. Watch the events that are happening here. Keep our eyes on that. Watch your own lives. Uh, so, and then he makes this statement in verse 36. And pray always, pray always, that you may be counted worthy to escape these things that will come to pass. These things are going to, going to come to pass, as, as we said in verse, verse 33. They are going to come to pass. It is reality. We don't know when, but it is going to come to pass. But he says it's okay to, to not okay, but it's, it's good, and we should pray always that we may be counted worthy to escape these things. So... 
We'll, we'll get into that in, in just a bit. But why else are we covering this, this subject today? I, I believe we're covering this subject because these passages represent a portion of God's word. His word by which we must live, his word by which we must strive to learn, and his word to which we must understand and apply. Uh, as, as we're living our lives, because God reveals knowledge to his people for their benefit spiritually. This, this information is of benefit to us spiritually. Okay, so with that in mind, let's go to Matthew 24. And here, so here's what we're going to do in the time remaining today. Hopefully, we'll get to point one. There are four that I want to cover of, of the Great Tribulation uh, period. Uh, that we'll finish the final three in next time. But let's uh, today, uh, we'll start in Matthew 24, but I think it's critical for us to review some of the precursors, uh, what we would call precursors, to the Great Tribulation period. Uh, Mr. I think it was Mr. Cobernot uh, a few years ago listed some of the things that need to happen. I can't remember, was it before the return of Christ or was it before the Great Tribulation began? He can't even remember. Did I cover that subject? He's looking at me like, what are you even talking about? No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm making fun. Was, was it before the return of Christ? Before the return of Christ. Uh, so uh, I remember uh, he covered that, and, and some of these things we'll be, we'll be covering today. But what we're going to look at going, not gonna, we're going to look at the pre, uh, several precursors prior to the Great Tribulation, 42 months, three and a half years, time, time, and half as times, Jacob's trouble, uh, time of the Gentiles, before that period begins, okay? Matthew 24, verse 1. This is, uh, represents one of the keys uh, to that. The, the Great Tribulation is the fifth seal, so there are four seals that occur before the Great Tribulation begins. So these four seals, the first four seals of Revelation 6, represent precursors to the Great Tribulation coming on the scene, these final three and a half years before Christ returns. Matthew 24 speaks to these and covers, it, uh, covers them in a little more of a flowing kind of a thing than the Revelation 6 does in listing the four horsemen of the apocalypse. But the first, the first uh, aspect then of a precursor is that there are four seals leading up to the, the great tribulation. These are precursors. Verse 1, Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, we, we recognize that, I think it was, was it Titus, uh, that surrounded uh, Jerusalem in, in, uh, a little bit before 70 AD, I think it surrounded the city and then ultimately brought down uh, the, the temple, and it was uh, destroyed and destroyed took control of Jerusalem because of a rebellion of, of the Jews in 70 AD, but that is not uh, ultimately what he's getting at uh, because we see next in verse 3 that as Jesus Christ sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and he said, they say, okay, so now tell us, tell us, Jesus, when, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Give us, give us some of these signs. We want to know the signs. 
So Jesus said to them in his answer, take heed that no one deceives you. So then it's, it's amazing the parallels between verses 5, uh, 6, and 7 and 8 uh, with the four horsemen of the, the apocalypse as in Revelation 6. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. So we, prior to this, this great tribulation beginning, there are going to be individuals that, are, that may either say that they, they represent the Messiah, uh, that saying that Jesus Christ is truly the Messiah and they're really false prophets, or even taking on the, 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 the thought of that they are the Messiah, or they are uh, the Christ. We see that uh, through the, the, the work of the, the great false prophet at the in, end uh, of, of things. But he says, so that's going to happen. That parallels with the, the false religion of the first uh, hor- horseman, the, the white horse. So he says here uh, in, in verse 6, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Uh, the, red, the red one, which is uh, number two of the four horsemen. See that you are not troubled uh, with all of the, the wars and all these things and the deception that's going to be out there about who is Christ and, and what is the truth of Christ and, and all of the wars that are going on. For all these things must come to pass. These things are going to happen, and he, but he says don't be troubled about it because it's going to be all right in the end. These things must come to pass, but, but the end is not yet. When that happens, the end is not yet. So he continues in this discussion that nation is going to rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there are going to be more of these kinds of battles. And we're going to see different alliances and and things forming and and battles and uh, conflict across the globe. And then we see the third and fourth uh, horsemen of the apocalypse uh, here mentioned in the latter half of verse 7. There will be famines, pestilences earthquakes in various places. Verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. These things will, will, will be happening prior to, as we see through the various trumpet, trumpets and plagues, battles and people will be killed and diseases and things will happen all the way through to the, to the, to the return of Christ. But these kinds of things, these kinds of things intensifying will be present and will be happening, these will be precursors to the great tribulation hitting. So that, that's one of those. It's the beginning of sorrows. Secondly, Daniel 11, Daniel 11, another precursor to the great tribulation beginning. Daniel 11. Daniel 11, verse 40. Daniel 11 is a fascinating prophecy of so many details. It's, uh, I try to every three or four years go through all of that. But uh, we come down to the, the time of the end, uh, verse 40, and we, we recognize as, as that leads into chapter 12 at, at the very end of things that this... We, we, we draw from this, these verses 40 through 45, that this is an end-time uh, kind of event that, that takes place. 
At the time of the end, uh, at the time of the end, the king of the south uh, shall attack him, this king of the north, this, this power from the north at the end time, which we understand to be the, the resurrected Holy Roman Empire, that final, that final resurrection of that, uh, of, that, of that power with the beast and the false prophet uh, involved in that. So the king of the north, because he's attacked as the king of the south pushes up against him, the king of the north sweeps against him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and, and, and many ships, and he enters these countries, overwhelms them, and passes through them. He enters into the glorious land, speaking of, of what we understand to be uh, Jerusalem itself and, and Israel, as verse 45 uh, indicates. Some, some of the countries in the surrounding area will escape, some uh, will not. Verse 43, this, this king of the north that comes down will have power over the treasures of gold and over all the precious things of Egypt. Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. But then as he comes down and, and sets uh, up residence there and influence, uh, news from the north and the east as he looks northward and eastward into, into Asia, the Asian hordes, uh, shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. Verse 45, he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain between the, the Dead Sea and the, and the Mediterranean Sea, uh, there at the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end. No one will help him. Ultimately, as, as Christ returns and, and defeats that, that army, uh, they, uh, no one helps in that situation. Okay, so, so the, the second thing that will, will be happening is right before the, the Great Tribulation, we have the King of the North coming down and, and establishing a presence there in the Holy Land. Now, one of the, the ways that we, we see that is, is through the next thing that is a precursor to the Great Tribulation. Let's look at this in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 15. Matthew 24, verse 15. And we'll come back to Daniel here in a second, I believe. Yeah. Matthew 24, verse 15. So when, when you see the abomination of desolation, now, now, Jesus, tell us when, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So, okay, so he says this in verse 15. When you see the abomination of desolation, this, this event, this, this, this activity being set up here, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then, when, when, that, when that happens, let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of the house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Yeah. Jerusalem, is, is, they are coming in and they are setting up there in Jerusalem. Woe to the pregnant uh, and those who are nursing babies in those days. Pray that your flight in the end time uh, not, not be in, in winter or on the Sabbath. Uh, interesting that the Sabbath is mentioned, uh, that it would 
still be in, in effect or discussed uh, near Christ's return during that time. Anyway, uh, he says, for then there will be great tribulation. So when you see the, the abomination of desolation being set up, know that it's very near because when, when that happens, then we see the, the great tribulation uh, beginning, such as has not been since the beginning of the, uh, the world until this time, nor ever shall be. This is when this is, is going uh, to, to kick in. So one of the precursors, uh, he says, as, as Daniel uh, speaks about, let's go to Daniel then and see what Daniel, in God's prophecies to, to Daniel, uh, what Daniel shows us about this great, uh, this abomination of desolation. Daniel, uh, Daniel 11, we see, won't go into uh, details with this, but we see in one of the, one of the lengthy prophecies here uh, about the, this abomination of desolation and the daily sacrifices taken away. We see that occurring uh, in, uh, what was it, the 160s BC or so with uh, Antiochus Epiphanes IV in what he did. And in, uh, he outlawed the, uh, he took away the daily sacrifices in Jerusalem at that time and he, he declared mosaic ceremonies to be illegal. And he set up, in, in a sense, this, this abomination of de desolation and, and offered pig flesh, uh, pig meat on the altar, uh, just a horrible situation. But then we come down into uh, Daniel 12 as it's talking about the, the time of the end. We, and we'll, we'll get to that a bit more next time, but, but it is, this, is, this is in the time of the end now, uh, time of the people being delivered, uh, people shining as light, all, all the, the things of, of what happens at the end at, that nears Christ's return. And we see this statement mentioned in Daniel 12, verse 11. Daniel 12, verse 11. So we've got, we've got time times half a time. We've got 42 months. We've got the three and a half year period. It's interesting the way this is listed here. And from the, the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. 1,260 days is three and a half years uh, leading up to the return of Christ. 1,290 days uh, are an extra 30 days. So... The, the king of the north sweeps down. The king of the north sets up the abomination of desolation. We see in Matthew saying, get out of Dodge uh, because this is, the great tribulation is coming for then shall become great, great uh, you know, then shall be the great tribulation. It leads us to conclude, and again, all of this is, uh, I'm not saying I would state my salvation on any of this, uh, but uh, it, uh, I believe to some degree this has been revealed to the church uh, in, you know, in the last, what, 70, 80 years here, uh, that, that this could be this 30-day this period, this very short window of when the north, the king of the north, the, the beast power that comes down uh, between that and between when the great tribulation begins. 
so it, it appears to be a, a very, very short time, which we'll, we'll look at here, a 30-day gap. This becomes very significant as we begin to discuss the key events of the Great Tribulation period. So we're going to segue into that now. We've talked about uh, three precursors to the, the, the Great Tribulation's beginning, uh, and, and that is the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the king of the north sweeping down and the abomination of desolation. So as we then start to look at the, the key events of the great tribulation, let's go first to Genesis 17. There is a fourth precursor that I will not spend time discussing because it's, it's something that it's been fascinating for me to be here in, the in both congregations and listen to this subject talked about. Uh, I will not say ad nauseum because it is, it is very important, but it's been discussed a lot. Uh, a fourth precursor uh, to, to uh, the events of the Great Tribulation leads into this. It, it's, I guess what we would say, for lack of a better phrase, the cancerous spread of spiritual and moral depravity in Israel. We, I, we've heard so many messages on that, and I think we need to hear so many more for us as God's people to see the clarity of, of where this world is going and how much we, as we examine ourselves, need to see, I've got to stay clear of Babylon. I've got to stay clear of the moral depravity that is there. What aspects of, of, of what I see going around it has some degree of moral depravity that is, is slipping into my way of thinking, and I've got to kick that out with God's help and, and stay free of Babylon. Come out of her. Come out of this whole world of Babylon. Come out of that mindset and keep my focus where it needs to be. Uh, that it is spreading like a cancer, and God's people see it, and they sigh and cry for the sins and abominations of Israel. They, they, they see it, and they clearly pray for a better time to come. Uh, it embraces Babylon. It embraces idolatry. It embraces covetousness to a greater and greater degree. But, but the, the, the prophecies in the minor prophets and in the major prophets do such a, an incredible job of, of taking us into the, the, the lives of what they were dealing with there as a type of what will happen in the end time of the abundance that they're experiencing, the, the, the amazing amassing of wealth while there, is, there are injustices here, there are horrible crimes going on here, and there's, as Mr. Franks said a couple of years back in, in one of his messages about how it seems like on the surface everything's okay, but just under the surface is moral depravity on every level. God's people see that and we stay above that to the best of our ability uh, and turn from it when we slip into that. But, but we are to be looking to that precursor, recognize that, see it in every aspect that, that's going on because it will worsen as we near the time of the Great Tribulation. God says that he brings these things upon Israel for those things. So as God's people, we need to be aware of what's going on and watch and not let ourselves slip into it. But that's the fourth. Okay, so all right, so let's get to the four now. All right, this one, I originally intended not to spend much time with it, 
but it is a question that comes up in the church from time to time. We, we covered it uh, several years ago. Others have covered this off and on, but uh, with some of the various uh, Church of God groups that are out there, uh, I, I, I believe it is, it is critical for, for us in understanding prophecy to recognize the blessing uh, of this truth that we've been given. Uh, let's keep, keep your finger there in Genesis uh, 17. Let's go to, to Daniel, back to Daniel, and look at this one passage. Was all truth, was all truth revealed to the apostles? Uh, was, was all truth eventually revealed to Paul? Because Paul came later than the, the original apostles came. Uh, was all truth revealed at, the, uh, at, at John's death in the mid-90s? Daniel 12, Daniel 12, verse 9, Daniel was perplexed by all that he saw. And he said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? You know, you just read in verse, you just told me in verse 7 that the, at the very end, the, the power of, of the holy people is going to be completely shattered. All things will be, when that happens, all these things will be finished. You, you talked in verse, you just told me in this course of this, you told me about the people being delivered at some point, uh, the, the, and God's people are going to awake to everlasting life. Some are going to result in shame and everlasting contempt. They're folks that are going to shine like the going to shine like the brightness of the firmament and 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 he's listening to all of this he's just gone through Daniel 11 and and trying to grasp all of that and Daniel said what shall be the end of these things I what is what, what is all of this and he said to Daniel go your way Daniel for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end I I really believe uh, that statement and I believe that the church through the years in seeing the, the prophecies. and how, how could John have understood the various resurrections of the Holy Roman Empire? He, 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 couldn't, he couldn't grasp that. I mean, he could, he could see these things and he could talk about us, but, uh, about these things, uh, but, then, but then here we come to the time of the end and it just jumps out at you at the reality of that. that these these kinds of, of, of teachings that God has given his people have been revealed to us in the time of the end. Uh, the, the clarity of, of the various resurrections of the Roman Empire, the clarity that there is going to come a final one. Uh, and seeing that play out, see them get destroyed, seeing it, seeing it be healed uh, by bringing in the, 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 the Roman Catholic Church to that, uh, being restored uh, by Justinian in 554 AD and then seeing the various resurrections and seeing that there is one yet to come and that there is this, this false prophet that will uh, give power to that final resurrection of the beast. That, that, those are things that are revealed to God's people at the end. We've, we've been given that. Uh, do, we, do we, because of various uh, 
various things about, well, can we be sure about this? Can we, can we be sure about this? Do we know exactly? We see through clouds darkly. Uh, so do we then just take all of it and say, well, because we, we don't see evidence of this, this, and this, do we just throw it all out and say, we're not, going, we're not even going to address these areas? There, there are some uh, groups that have done that. There are some Church of God groups and the various uh, splinters that, that have, have done that with some of these. And, and one, one of these areas is in one of our fundamental, fundamental beliefs, and that is the, the identity of Israel, the, the promises to Abraham and the identity to Israel, uh, the, the identity of Israel. That understanding is crucial, and it is critical in, in grasping some of the revealed knowledge that God has given us about the things that are going to happen in the end time. So in, in the time remaining, we'll, we'll address this, this first point, but in doing so, we, we have to also go through and review who Israel is in the end time. Because if we don't understand that, the prophecies are, are unclear. Do you see what I'm saying? Some, some will say that, where does it say that the United States, United States of America is Manasseh? Where does it say in scripture that Ephraim is the Britain and the Commonwealth. What does it say that in Scripture? Uh, so, so we should, as a result, cast that understanding completely aside uh, and not factor that in in terms of looking at prophecy. That's, that's one of those things where uh, I, I think things have been revealed to God's people at the end of the age. Uh, so so let's, let's look at that. Let's see why we come to that, that understanding as a, as, a, as a discussion for this first point, one of the key events of the Great Tribulation. First key event of the Great Tribulation, the final captivity of Israel prior to the return of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. A final captivity will take place of Israel. It's prophesied throughout the major and minor prophets that Israel will go into captivity. So, uh, so to, to grasp that, we need to understand, we need to understand the aspect of, of who Israel is. God, this, this incredible being who sees the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end, could prophesy in Genesis 3.15 that 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 the, the seed, uh, being Jesus Christ, would bruise the head of Satan, and Satan's going to be put out. Uh, and he sees, from way back then, he, he saw all that and prophesied that. Let's look at Genesis 17 now. Let's go through and, and, and make sure that we, we grasp this. <clears throat> Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abram, uh, Abram was 90 nine years old, the eternal uh, Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Verse 2, and I'll make my covenant between me and you and, and will multiply you exceedingly. I'm going to multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face and God talked with him. Uh, saying, verse 4, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations, a multitude of nations. He makes a promise to him. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. 
I'll make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. Pretty powerful statement here. Genesis 22, verse 15. Genesis 22, verse 15, we'll read through verse 18. So this is uh, after the test with Isaac. He passed the test. 22, verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time uh, out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, the Lord swears by himself, uh, so that's, I think we can take this to the bank. Because you've done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed." because you have obeyed my voice. Galatians 3 tells us that that seed was from uh, Judah. That seed was the, uh, the being that inhabits eternity, Jesus Christ. Uh, and he was the singular seed through which all of mankind will be blessed. But there's this element here, too, of descendants possessing the gates of, of, of their enemies. This uh, companies of nations, multitudes of nations, kings coming from uh, these, these nations. So let's look now at Genesis 48. <clears throat> Genesis 48. Because here, here's one of the, uh, the, the things that, that folks will posit. Uh, they'll, they'll put out there that, okay, yes, I agree with what Scripture says that, that that Israel was to be scattered. Well, they were scattered. Uh, but, but then I, I, and I, and they'll say, I agree that they're going to be gathered back uh, when Jesus Christ returns as they read the millennial, the millennial scriptures. But it creates a problem because you see at the end time, as it talks about all these things that are at the end, Israel, who the duality of prophecy, Israel, who has experienced all, in the, all of these blessings, all of a sudden goes into captivity. Well, why, why does that, that makes no sense. You see what I'm saying? It makes no sense if they're all scattered out there and there's, there's nothing going on uh, in the end time with them being in any position of, of power because they're all scattered and beaten down by the time that, that all of these things are happening. They, they have to fall from something. <laughs> Israel uh, fell then, 722 or 21 and, and fi uh, 586 or so, Judah, they fell, but then there's an end time falling uh, in, into captivity. So, so speaking of that then, we see in, in Genesis 48, when we come to Jacob blessing Joseph's sons, uh, Genesis 48, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that J Joseph uh, was told, your father, Jacob, is sick. And he took with, so he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Joseph is the next to the last son of, of Jacob. Joseph is not the firstborn. Uh, J Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And is Israel, 
Jacob, strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. I'll make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, they are mine. Reuben and Simeon, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. I believe Reuben, and Sib, Reuben is the firstborn. I think Simeon was second. Uh, just as they are mine, I am now considering these two people, Ephraim and Manasseh, Jacob, Israel, is saying, as my sons, I am taking ownership of them. They are, in a sense, my firstborn, is what he's doing here. Your offspring, whom you beget after them, shall be yours. You're going to have other children, Joseph. They're, they're yours. But these two fellows are mine, uh, as, as, he, as he says here. Uh, so Joseph said to him, here, here are my sons, whom God has given me in this place, verse 9. And he said, bring them to me, and I'll bless them. His, his eyes were bad, and, uh, but he still brought them there. They, he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I didn't think I'd ever see your face. And here, here, are, your, here are your sons, uh, and he's showing me your, your offspring. I mean, what, a, what an incredible moment for, for these people. Verse 12, Joseph brought them, Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand, Israel's uh, left hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left toward Israel's right hand, because uh, Jacob would put his right hand on the oldest, uh, which would have been Manasseh. Uh, so Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim. Ephraim was the younger of the two, but these two are considered his, and these two collectively are, are considered the firstborn because of Joseph. Joseph has replaced Reuben in the firstborn set. So in looking at Joseph, he sees these two sons, which are already his offspring, so these are mine. This is where this blessing's going. It's going to Joseph, my firstborn, and, and to Joseph's next generation, Ephraim and Manasseh. Uh, so, so he does this, and so he blessed Joseph, this verse 15, and said, God, before whom my fathers Abram, Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless these lads. Let my name, the name of all these blessings from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let my name be named upon them, these two, in the name of my fathers, Abraham and, and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. In the midst of the earth. Verse 17, and when Joseph saw that his hand was, you know, in the wrong spot, he said, no, no, don't, don't do this. Put your right hand on, on, on Manasseh's head. His father refused, verse 19, I know, my son, I know. He shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. 
So he, he sets this blessing, this incredible birthright blessing upon them, as you see in, as we look here in Genesis 49, as it lays out these blessings. We've, we've said before, you look at uh, <clears throat> some, of the, some of the statements about the, the blessings that, that go on each of these different, different children, uh, adults at this time, of course, uh, and then you see the, the difference between what he says about the blessing that comes upon Ephraim uh, and Manasseh in, in Joseph, the children of, of, of Joseph, of, of Joseph himself, uh, and it is, it is vastly different. Verse, verse 1 of 49, so critical. We, we, you, what do you do with this? What, what do you do with this? Uh, Jacob called his sons and, and said, Gather together uh, that I may tell you what shall befall in the last days. He's talking about down through time in the last days. Because when you look at verse, verse uh, 22 and, and see what he says about Joseph, it's a fruitful bow, a, a bow by a well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have shot at him bitterly and grieved him, shot at him and hated him, but his bow remained in strength. And the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God who will help you and, and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath. Blessings of the breast and of the womb, blessing of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors. Up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, they shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. A huge, huge blessing that he, that he pours out uh, upon them. And, uh, and, and we see that happening in the last days. You, we cannot, as we look at the end time, as we look at the end time and see the events, let's go to Zechariah. Uh, let's, we got time. Let's go to Hosea 5. No, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I want to go to, uh, I want to, go to Deuteronomy 33. Deuteronomy 33, let's go there. We see these blessings that are, that are coming upon these individuals uh, of the offspring of Joseph. And, and these are physical blessings that, that happen in the last days, near the end of it all. Uh, Deuteronomy 33, I love the way that this is written here in some of Moses' last words. De uh, Deuteronomy 33, we see Moses' final uh, blessing, or Moses' final blessing on Israel. Notice what he says <clears throat> about uh, the, the blessings upon J Joseph. Verse 13, And of Joseph, he said, Blessed of the Lord is his land with the precious things of heaven, with the dew and the deep lying beneath, with the precious fruits of the sun, with the precious produce of the months, with the best things of the ancient mountains, with the precious things of the everlasting hills, with the precious things of the earth and all its fullness, and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush. Let the blessing come on the head of Joseph and on the crown of his head, uh, the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. For his glory is like a firstborn bull, and his horns like the horns of the wild ox, together with them, he shall push the peoples to the ends of the earth. Hear that? 
they, in, this is what shall befall in the last. He shall push the people to the peoples to the ends of the earth. They are the ten thousands of Ephraim, and they are the thousands of Manasseh. So, so from that, I mean, it's it's critical that we talk about the the difference between the seed and and these blessings. These blessings are promised because God made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to, to do this, uh, and, and he has done that. It is not because the people who are the actual descendants, uh, uh, who are the actual descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh are some great people. Uh, he says in, in, in other places that I chose you, Israel, because you're the, you're the weak of the world, <laughs> you're small, I, so I could show that I could do this through you. There is nothing to be vain about uh, with that, to, to recognize that, that America has been blessed the way that it has and that Great Britain and, and, and the Commonwealth has spread to the extent that it had and, and reached its, its heyday in the 1800s and, and 1900s to be five times the size of the Roman Empire, bigger than any empire ever across the entire earth. Uh, that is reality, and in knowing that helps us then be able to see how these prophecies play out down the stretch. Does that mean that we're something? No, because in the end it only means whether or not we, we are the spiritually circumcised of heart, no matter what our race, whether we're uh, whatever color we are or whatever mix that we are. We're, we're all very mixed uh, in many respects. That, that, that is of no significance to God with respect to our internal, eternal inheritance. And we as God's people keep that in mind. And shame on us, shame on any of us who consider ourselves or think that we may be of the heritage of Ephraim or Manasseh, that we are somehow superior. That is, that is evil and that is satanic and that is not esteeming others higher than ourselves. Uh, we are only of God, we are only the Israel of God uh, in terms of the seed, Jesus Christ, by being sired by the Holy Spirit and through the sacrifice of Christ. We get that. We get that and we understand that. But at the same time, we are not going to run away from a truth that's revealed in the end time that helps us see the way that God fulfills his promises in blessing Israel the way that he has in the end time because scripture, as we get into these scriptures that move ahead, it helps us see the, the parallel of the blessing that, that Israel had experienced, the blessings that Judah had experienced down uh, the stretch before their downfall, and then all of that taken away. In the end time, there are these nations that are very powerful, that are, that are recipients of the blessings that God promised he would give. They're recipients of that. They, they have gotten that and they have cast it aside as we're, we're powerful because we're powerful, because we're great. We've got everything. And, and, and these nations have not uh, followed God, therefore they will fall into captivity. It does not make sense that they would all be scattered and there would be no Israel down the stretch because if you have no Israel down the stretch to fall into captivity because they're already in captivity and they've been in captivity forever, it makes no sense. It, it, scripture does not, the prophecies do not uh, come, uh, do not follow then. So let's look uh, next at Hosea 5. 
Hosea 5. Remember we talked before about a very short window, this 1290 days to the 1260 days when the abomination of desolation is set up right before the great tribulation begins. This first point is that the final captivity of Israel takes place prior to the return of Christ. They have to fall from something to go into captivity. Hosea 5 verse 4, we've, we've hit these before, but let's, let's review these little indications of this, this short time, this short window. Could this be a tie to what we see in the 1290 days to the abomination of desolation setting up and then the great tribulation beginning at the 1260 day mark, the three and a half year mark? Hosea 5, uh, Hosea 5 verse 4, Hosea 5 verse 4, a prophecy here to the, the northern uh, kingdom at that time. They do not direct, verse 4, chapter 5, they do not direct their deeds towards turning, uh, toward turning to their God, for the spirit of harlotry is in their midst. They do not know the Lord. We're moving closer and closer to that as a country here, uh, as the birthright recipients of the, of, of the blessings of Joseph. We see that extant uh, in, in Ephraim, uh, even to a greater degree in, in Great Britain than we even see it here. They don't know the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Therefore, Israel and Ephraim, it says, like a, uh, sometimes he uses these terms where he'll say Israel and Ephraim, meaning the same. Ephraim was the key nation in Israel at the time. Uh, <clears throat> Therefore, Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity, and Judah, the, the southern, southern kingdom at that time, stumbles with them. With their flocks and, and their herds, they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He's withdrawn himself from them. They have dealt treacherously with the eternal, uh, for they've begotten pagan children. Now a new moon, uh, I mean, you know, one moon to another, a new moon shall devour them and their heritage. Uh, some translations render it, now a month shall devour them. It happens it appears to happen when it falls, it happens very quickly, in a sense from one new moon to another, a very short period. The other passage we'll address is found here in Zechariah 11. And this is where we'll stop today. Burnett might end in an hour. Man, that's amazing. Okay, Zechariah Zechariah 11, maybe a little over an hour, we'll see. Zechariah 11, verse 4, interesting passage here. It's, it talks about the, what's called the, uh, the heading brings up the, the des desolation of Israel, but it's also called a prophecy of the shepherds. As we read this, I want us to ask ourselves, why would God record this this way at the end time if Israel, the, the northern tribes, had already been completely lost and unidentifiable. This is an end time uh, prophecy here. Zechariah 11 verse 4, therefore, uh, okay, 
when does Zechariah take place? Zechariah is written in, what, the 520s B.C.? So by this time, Judah is in Babylon, but Judah has just been able to come back. They've been able to come back, but 100, what is it, 100, uh, let's see, 520, 520, 620, so some, some 200 years earlier, Israel had gone into captivity. Israel is gone. They're, they went into the north, re, Assyria relocated them as, as uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Macintosh talked about the Assyrians. It, it, they had taken the northern tribes and they had relocated them uh, north uh, of there and they were going up into the Caucasus and up into the Eurasian steppes. They're, they're, they're out of the picture altogether and he's talking about all this. 200 years later, it, it's, it's in, it has in time significance. Verse four, thus says the Lord my God, feed the flock for, my, for slaughter. Ooh, what do you mean here? Feed the flock for slaughter. I thought all these were, were gone. There is, anyway, so whose owners slaughter them and feel no guilt. Those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, for I am rich and their shepherds do not pity them. For I will no longer pity the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. But indeed, I will give everyone into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of his king. They shall attack the land and I will not deliver them from their hand. So I fed the flock for slaughter, in particular the poor of the flock. And it says, I took for myself two staffs. So he's got two staffs here. The one I called beauty, or as the margin renders, uh, I think, uh, grace. Uh, grace meaning, you know, the, the grace that he has had upon these people, but beauty, grace. And the other I called bonds, B-O-N-D-S. Uh, and again, bonds, not talking about being in bondage with slavery, but, but bonded together in unity as uh, the margin renders. So I've got, in, in terms of looking at my people here, he says, I, you know, I've had grace on them uh, and, and considered them beauty. And, and also I've considered them united and I've kept them bonded together. He said, so take these two staffs. I dis, and he says, I dismissed the three shepherds in one month. Dismissed there, the margin renders, cut them off. Those who were uh, exploiting the people with false teaching and, and all the, the inappropriate actions towards them because of selfish things. He said, I, I cut them off. I cut, up, cut off their shepherds, their leaders, the spiritual leaders. I cut them off in one month. Again, a very, very short period of time. My soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. Then I said, I will not feed you. Let what is dying die, perishing perish. Let those who, who are left eat each other's flesh. And I took my staff, this staff in how he considered uh, Israel beauty, and I cut it in two, uh, that I might break the covenant which I had made with all the peoples, the, the grace that he had had upon Israel as his special people, looking after them and caring for them. So it was broken on that day. Thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, if it's agreeable to you, give me my wages and not refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the pieces of silver and threw them to the house of the Lord for the potter. And then I cut, my other, uh, cut into my other staff, bonds, unity, this unity that was shared, that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Why is that significant? Why, is it, why it's significant is because this is written in 520 B.C., 520-something B.C. This, why, 
Well, what do you, why is, is this some prophecy of breaking the bonds between Judah and Israel? Judah, Israel's been in captivity for 200 years. If they're just out there, some, what, 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 what does that matter? Unless in, in the end time when we see these nations, as we see Israel and its fulfillment of the powerful nation that Ephraim will be, the powerful company of nations that Ephraim will be, the powerful nation that Manasseh will be, who represent Joseph, the northern, uh, the, the birthright promises of the northern tribes that received this bountiful blessing at the end, the bonds are broken between them and Judah. Judah, Israel, the Jews of the land of the day. That, that bond will be broken between the two of them. That is something that, that, that uh, happens at, at this bond is broken at the, at the end time. Verse 15, and the Lord said to me, next, take for yourself the implements of a, of a foolish shepherd. For indeed, I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the land young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed uh, those that still are broken, but, but he, uh, nor feed those that stand but he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear the hooves in pieces. Credible prophecy of, of what happens at the end, this bond that becomes uh, broken uh, between these uh, two sets of people, these two, uh, in a sense, brothers of, of, uh, of, of Jacob. Now, what we're going to do next time, I'll, I'll quit now, but what we're going to do next time is finish out this first point and actually look at the passages that talk about Israel going into captivity in the end time. Please keep in, in mind the reason why we covered what we did. Israel has to be restored at the end time to go into captivity in the end time. And that's uh, the, the part that, that some of the other groups out there do not seem to grasp, that there, there's got to be a, a blessing, a, a promise of God being fulfilled to take Israel uh, to the end time, to be in a position to fall into captivity at the end. We'll look at those passages next time in part two. Happy Sabbath, everybody. <laughs>